Hi, this is Chris Westfall, and this is the Financial Executive Podcast. Internal controls are the unglamorous but integral part of how money moves through a company. They essentially assure that the revenue actually exists, bills are paid to the right people, and that the balance sheet shown to investors in the world is not fiction. Given all that internal controls encompass, it's not surprising that they are labor and time intensive and that financial executives continually seek ways to make sure they work in the most efficient way possible. In this episode, we speak with three academic researchers and the sponsor of a new research report released by the Financial Education and Research Foundation titled, Where Are We Now? The Story of ICFR at Large Public Companies as Told by the Financial Executives, about how leaders are dealing with the responsibility of ICFR and how technology can be leveraged to measure and track them. So I want to thank everybody uh, for joining us today, and um, we're going to really delve into um, what this report talks about and, and why FEI members, uh, this is such an important issue for FEI members. So I want to start off um, introducing everybody. Maybe, uh, Jeff Folks, maybe you could introduce yourself and, and what your role is. Sure. Um, name's Jeff Wilkes. I'm a professor at Brigham Young University uh, School of Accountancy, and I uh, have. I'm also a member of the uh, research committee for Financial Executive International. So, in that, I have the opportunity to hear a lot of the concerns and issues that executives are facing. And out of those conversations came this paper, where uh, we wanted to look into some of the concerns and issues related to internal controls over financial reporting and uh, had some great cooperation and assistance from uh, a lot of uh, executives in the organization to respond to our questions. So um, my, I've been at BYU for 20 years and uh, I think some of the best research that ever happens is when we're interacting with professionals uh, who are you know, giving us insights into their day-to-day uh, concerns and worries. So this has been a great project to work on. Great, and, and Mark, maybe you could sort of talk about your background and your role. Sure, uh, Mark Kissman. I'm with Greenlight Technologies. I'm the uh, CFO. Um, interestingly, you know, Greenlight uh, provides uh, uh, software to uh, uh, help companies manage the ICFR, you know, access and 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 uh, transaction monitoring. But my background is I'm a CPA. I've been in um, um, the CFO at Greenlight. Uh, I've been, you know, in in uh, uh, you know, internal controls, you know, pretty much all my career. I like to tell folks I started back with KPMG when we did uh, mechanical pencils and, and uh, templates to, to uh, flow chart internal controls all the way up through my previous employer. Um, we implemented, you know, uh, SOX 404. So I've kind of seen the whole, uh, the whole gambit. So uh, trying to bring that perspective uh, as well. Great. And Jeff Pickard, maybe you can introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Jeff Pickard, an assistant professor in my fifth year at the University of Mississippi. I teach and research accounting information systems and internal controls over financial reporting play a key component and role in that. Great. And uh, Devin Williams, maybe you want to introduce yourself. Great. Yeah. My name is Devin Williams. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Uh, also a former auditor, so I still hold my CPA license and uh, spent a lot of years uh, or a few years auditing internal controls at one of the big uh, accounting firms and then went back uh, 
to get a PhD to come research and teach this. So I do teach the master's course in financial statement auditing. And as you would guess, internal controls are a large portion of that course. And so it was very exciting to get this opportunity to research with FEI and find out what's actually happening and how uh, we can help. Great. So there's a, a huge brain trust behind this this effort and this research. So maybe I'll start off with Jeff Wilkes sort of describing the paper and sort of the underlying thesis of it and, and what your main takeaways from it. And then we'll go deeper into the, the technology aspects of it. Sure thing. Uh, and I, I'm glad to have my co-authors here today. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you that right off the bat because the project wouldn't have evolved to be as expansive and broad as it turned out to be without them. Also a shout out to one of our co-authors who can't be here, Eldar Maximov, who's at Arizona State University. Um, you know, all of, uh, all of us bring a different background to this that let us identify uh, the big questions that academics have been worried about uh, related to internal controls, but also uh, temper those questions with what are professionals really saying, though? And so we realized this project needed to be one that was uh, you know, deeply informed by executives uh, at all of public, uh, private companies. We focused uh, largely on public companies in the report uh, we're talking about today. But uh, after initial discussions, which went for a few months, um, it quickly, you know, we quickly focused in on a few key issues, which I think you'll see is the key takeaways of the report, too, is that internal controls, um, the guidance that exists out there is, is relatively comprehensive. It, it does a decent job uh, from most executives' perspectives. But what they feel like they're missing is uh, real-world industry-specific examples that they can use to counter what their auditors come at them with, uh, largely because of what the PCOB is saying they need to, to they need to say and they need to argue. So there, while there's a general satisfaction, if you will, uh, with ICFR and the guidance that exists out there, there's a frustration with a lack of real life industry specific examples that companies can use when they kind of go toe to toe uh, with their auditors and saying, hey, you know what, this is, yeah, it's, a, it's an efficiency, but it's not a material weakness as an example. Um, so that was one key mm. thing we picked up on in conversation and certainly the data bears that out. And I'd say the second uh, big takeaway from this report uh, is that we're hearing it's about technology. Everyone thinks this technology is going to be a panacea. And it's going to solve a lot of problems, but technology, as great as it is, has to be applied carefully to uh, processes and controls where it can really help. And then you also have to be careful because it introduces new control problems often. Um, and underlying one of the themes we heard related to controls, uh, technology being used in control settings is sometimes we don't have the personnel. We don't have people trained in this space who can really uh, speak both accounting and controls and technology. They can speak to all those aspects. Um, we heard this again over and over in conversations and then formally in the survey responses and in interviews with, with folks. So what I would say is kind of overall takeaways, great guidance. We want more specific examples. And then technology wise, we need people better trained in technology that can speak both accounting and automation speak, if you will, um, and uh, and need funding for it as well while we're on the point uh, to, to, to get more in, in that direction. But we, I, I will say this is a very representative uh, set of responses. We had 145 uh, responses from uh, professionals out there. And, and these are, you know, I think at least half of them are from Fortune 500 companies. So these are 
this is a good group of executives uh, for us to draw conclusions from. Uh, we followed up with 16 uh, interviews uh, with individuals as well. So we could kind of get a, a more color commentary on what we were seeing in the survey. So what you see reported here, uh, we think represents uh, pretty well uh, what the profession is feeling right now, what they're going through when it comes to uh, ICFR overall and as well as technology. Devin, I want to want to ask you about that. I mean, what were your I mean, I assume it's along the same line as Jeff's, but what were your particular thoughts on this research project and what did you get out of it? Yeah, an additional kind of main point. uh, I agree with Jeff with everything he said. An additional main point that I found interesting uh, was the relationship between executives and their financial statement auditors. Um, Typically, in some conversations that's thought of as an adversarial role, right? It's us versus them. And we found the opposite. Um, uh, executives by far the majority said, we, we enjoy our auditors. We have a great relationship with them. We work with them. Um, now with that, there was a caveat that there are some pain points. And that was part of this, uh, uh, research question was to examine those and bring those out. And one of those is documentation. Hmm. And we found that, uh, executives are sometimes frustrated with the amount of documentation. They don't necessarily feel all of it as a value add. And the source of that uh, could be debated, but obviously it comes down to our, is the PCOB asking for this or do the auditors actually need this? And that was very interesting to uh, discover in our survey responses, as well as uh, in those extra interviews, as Jeff mentioned. Great. Je- Jeff Beckard, what, what were your takeaways from it? Just getting from your perspective. Yes, I, I think uh, Jeff and Devin did a great job uh, summarizing. And I, I think one additional insight was it was fascinating to see that executives really saw the powerful potential and how uh, these technologies could reduce risks, but their adoption did not uh, wasn't very high in any particular one area. And I think that probably is a number of factors that contributed to that, but uh, it's fascinating with these companies that it's a broad concern that there's a lack of accounting systems, IT personnel that can help address these complicated technology issues. Yeah. And that's a good uh, pain point to focus on on the next question. I want to ask you, Mark, about, you know, you're dealing with this, uh, you know, outside, you know, on a, a customer basis, right? You're dealing with, you know, people who are, um, dealing with this day to day, what are some of the biggest ICFR technology related pain points you hear from your customers? Yeah, I think the, um, you know, to the, to the point uh, that was just made that, that getting into, uh, testing, uh, and doing manual testing and using sample sizes just leads to even more work. You know, you're, you're chasing uh, false positives. I mean, we even have customers that have automated their testing. It's still sort of, sort of an automated manual process. Um, uh, but you know, what happens when, when you find an exception and you've taken a sample size, do you test more? Do you have to, you know, uh, extrapolate the error to the total population? And it just gets them into a big, a big mess. So, so, uh, you know, that was uh, one of the big uh, pain points was, you know, even when you start to automate some of the testing, 
you know, it, depending on how you do it, it, it creates more work and, and more frustration. And the other big pain point is just that we see a lot is the move to, uh, uh, to the cloud. You know, before, you know, if you're a big company and everything was under one ERP system, either Oracle or SAP or whoever, um, now you're starting to break that out. And it's like, well, wait a second. Now my user is doing setting up vendors in SAP and paying them out of uh, uh, Ariba in the cloud and or vice versa. And, and so that's a big pain point as well is that is that, you know, digital transformation and the movement to the cloud is creating actually more complexity and our customers are trying to deal with that as well. Jeff Wilkes, was that uh, brought out in the research and, and how was it, did it manifest itself or were there any questions or the results that came across in that to what Mark said? Uh, I, no, I'm not remembering specific quotes from the interviews, but uh, and sometimes it's interviews during the formal part of our research, but also it's leading up to our research. We had so many conversations with people about where, you know, where the pain points were. And we definitely heard what Mark said uh, echoed from from many professionals. The idea that when you just moving to the cloud, which sounds like some great solution to, you know, some problem out there we haven't defined, you know, it, it, it sounds great, but if, if all you were doing is taking a single system and moving it to the cloud, maybe there'd be some improvements, but so often as Mark's pointing out, you're actually getting additional vendors who are providing cloud services that are integrating with older systems. And that introduces all kinds of data risk, both in the you know, transfer of the data, authentication, uh, the idea of, uh, do, do we actually authenticate payment? That was in one system, but we actually paid them out of another system as Mark's saying. Uh, a lot of executives uh, will, will tell us you get great new technology and it does solve a problem that it was intended to solve, but it added so many more new problems. Uh, and maybe it's wrong to call them problems initially, but new points where you have to think about controls and uh, that poses problems for an internal control set. Mm-hmm. Devin, I, I wanted to hit you up for the next question and you don't feel comfortable answering it. Please, you know, don't and kick it off to another person, but what are some of the most common control areas that customers are looking or, or what, you know, you see the in the research that people are looking to automate? Uh, yeah, so we we specifically ask about certain areas in their company and ask, OK, are these risks you know greater uh, than normal or, or how risky do you think these areas are? And of course, not surprisingly, the top uh, rated areas that are high risk for material uh for internal control material weaknesses are controls around non-routine transactions. Hmm. So like Mark said earlier with technology, it's tough uh, to program a technology to handle non-routine transactions Hmm. um, because you can't automate it because by definition they're non-routine. So you can't uh, have an algorithm learn everything for the first time uh, perfectly. Um, The second highest ranked risk was uh, accounting for income tax provision. Uh, they said in terms of internal controls, um, that's tough uh, to have effective controls around. So those are uh, not really surprising, um, but interesting nonetheless to have consensus that those are very difficult areas uh, in in internal controls. Um, And then on the other end of the scale, again, kind of not surprising, there are controls around routine estimates. So of course, if you have something that's routine, well, we can put technology with that, we can have good internal controls set up around that. Uh, the other things kind of near the bottom are 
controls around disclosures, and then controls around going concern considerations. Now with going concern considerations, there is a caveat, as uh, Jeff Wilkes mentioned earlier, uh, the majority of our respondents are Fortune 500 companies. And right. so inherently do not have a lot of issues with going concern. So we would think we might find something different, obviously, should we uh, survey smaller companies that might have those issues uh, happen in a non-routine fashion. And then we would say maybe those are lumped in with the non-routine. Great. No, no, that's really helpful. So one other question we want to ask is the research indicated that companies have been somewhat slow to apply technology to ICFR. Why do you think that is? And maybe Jeff Pickard, I'd, I'd start with you. And do you, what were your yeah, thoughts on that? I, I think the first reason is that there's a, a timing issue here. When you think about where technology can be first applied, oftentimes it goes to the customers and the, the business, other parts of the business. Compliance kind of lags in technology adoption more generally. Um, we did find that uh, CPAs in general in the survey were more leery of the benefits of the uh, new technologies. There's also a cost benefit analysis that has to be done uh, with these, you know, and, and I think that we can tie back to the fact that it's very difficult to find these uh, people qualified with the right skill set, both the accounting and IT knowledge. Everyone in the industry is trying to proactively upgrade, and you might have to use your best IT accounting specialist on the customer and business side first. The last area that I think participants uh, voiced was concerning finding the right product. So sometimes, you know, these are large expenditures and there takes a while to do change management. And so making sure that the product functions and, and, and is, uh, they're very large investments. And uh, so they, they do take a while to actually implement and uh, make sure that they're delivering on their promises. So I think it's a combination of many factors. Mark, I saw you shaking your head. Is that something you see out there when you're dealing with your customers? Yeah, I think the uh, the, the the point that that finance tends to uh, uh, be low on the on the totem pole in terms of of investment, and just because of that, how do you prove ROI and and uh, you know being being able to justify additional investment? Um, that that's always been a big one. And, and there's a little bit of inertia too. It, it's like, you know, do I really want to open up this can of worms, uh, right now when I think my auditors are okay and I think everything's okay. But then as was pointed out, the auditors move, move the goalpost or, yeah, you know, you, you're, you're, you know, you move something to the cloud and makes things more complex. So you sort of get a compelling event, but, uh, uh, absolutely. It, uh, you know, it, it's, it's been slow, but I, I think they're seeing that, that, uh, the investments will, will ultimately pay off. Great. And that sort of leads it to the next question and that, you know, so to understand with all these challenges and, you know, you, you have the uncertainty of, of, you know, or difficulty of ICFR regulation, and you have the changes going on with technologies, what are some of the ways that financial executives can increase their technological acumen when it comes to ICFR? And maybe 
Jeff, I, I don't know what your thoughts were on Jeff Wilkes, what your thoughts were on that. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's a big I question. I'm going to have to rely on some others for this one because I think there's so many things that, you know, other, other pressures uh, facing executives and uh, trying to think, you know, even what we do as faculty members when we're right. asked, hey, you've got to stay up on this stuff too because it's becoming – it's not just a specialty class someone needs to teach. You need to know it, even if you're teaching regular accounting classes. So what do we do? And so uh, what I see, what I hear a lot of professionals and academics for that matter doing is uh, enrolling in uh, boot camps, for example, hmm. uh, where take one of the big accounting firms uh, where they recognize there's a lot of education that needs to happen and they'll provide a boot camp to both to professionals and academics uh, to instruct them in some of the new and crazy ways that uh, these technologies from you know, artificial intelligence, automation, blockchain, uh, you know, name the list that we're currently talking about. What does that actually mean? And from a very practical perspective. So, so that's one way that doesn't necessarily dive you too deep into what those technologies are doing, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a way to become familiar with what's practically being done. One of the complaints that we often hear from professionals, and you'll hear this when the auditors aren't in the room, um, is you know, we hear an auditor will pitch the audit as, here's uh, all the great ways we're gonna use technology, and they're describing it at a kind of a you know, 50,000 foot level, but when it comes to actually doing your audit, they may not be using many, if any of those tools. This is what the executives are saying. And so, so there's a slight warning there to say, know really well what they're doing and then what they're really going to do on your audit. And that requires, like you're saying, some acumen and some, some sense of, well, what does this actually do? Is it something I can do in my environment, given my current data structures, my current uh, you know, software and uh, you know, just all the different things I do, could they even do that internally? So, so that's one, one, one reason, I guess, more of a motivation than how they're doing it. It's a motivation to get out there and learn some of this stuff. So I'll, I'll give you a second answer to this. One is those boot camps, but another great way that I've seen is executives getting together in the in kind of industry groups where they talk often about this. Uh, they have, these are so informal. It's, it's not, it's not like there's an association out there that sets up every single industry group for this, but it's people, you know, people you've worked with in industry, you know, within, you know, FEI, for example, so there's some great discussion boards, uh, discussions on the discussion board out there uh, where people are sharing ideas with each other on, well, how did you do this? Tell me about this technology, what really worked and uh, you know, where were some concerns and there people are pretty frank uh, in there about that. So that ability to rely on your, your colleagues, your peers out there and how they're seeing success and where they're running into problems. I think that's a big way people are trying to stay up on technology and not get oversold, but also to see where things are going well. Devin, I want to ask you, I mean, are you seeing the same thing? And one thing I want to follow up on is the concept of, you know, uh, hiring staff with the technology expertise. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it seemed like uh, the perfect employee for this may not exist, right? Mm. They want someone with with multiple degrees. You need to understand, as we mentioned earlier, accounting really well, internal controls really well, technology really well. Um, and of course, they do exist, but the executives kind of say that this this person is rare, you know, if they do exist, and they're fighting everybody else to hire this this person um, that has right. you know, all skills. 
And so, you know, teams are more likely to solve these problems than one individual uh, uh, to do this. Uh, but I also just want to echo what Jeff said. We, we even had an executive talk about the disconnect between the technology the audit firms are using and the technology their own companies are using. And they said the audit firms are moving way faster in their investments in technology than the companies they audit. So the companies are limiting the auditor's ability to be efficient. Hmm. Um, and so uh, I think that's a great quote uh, that we pulled from one of these executives that we interviewed to say exactly what Jeff said. Right. Sometimes the auditors say, oh, we can we can do all of these things, but not necessarily on you. Right. And so you do want to make sure. Uh, one thing I want to point out is the executives that we've surveyed seem to understand these technologies enough to say that they believe they will reduce a lot of the risks that they face. Right. Um, that was a, an overwhelming response we got as, yeah, we think technology could uh, reduce a lot of the risks that we currently face, uh, yet they don't. Uh, implement the technologies. And that's where we asked kind of, you know, why not? And that's where we got into, well, the, the people that understand everything uh, don't exist. We can't hire them. We can't find them. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of the next thing to be solved. And as academics, that's what we're trying to do. As Jeff said, in almost every uh, accounting curriculum that I keep up with, you know, my fellow professors, they're all adding data analytics components. We're right. introducing softwares, you know, Idea and Tableau, various softwares to introduce students to say, and technology is very powerful if done correctly. And so from the ground up, so I would say to senior executives, um, you know, uh, take some of the junior executives out to lunch and pick their <laughs> brains on what they see uh, and what they're familiar with and maybe allow them a little bit of freedom to implement some of it. Jeff Pickard, do you do you have any thoughts on this issue? Is it, is it a, a people problem or a technology problem? I, I think there are so many great technologies out there. And if, if executives are open and can dedicate the time and resources, I think they'll, uh, you know, they, they believe those benefits exist and they'll be able to realize them. Uh, there's many great organizations from FEI to IMA to the CAQAICPA trying to get the profession as a whole moving in this direction. And, you know, I, we talked to a variety of different groups. And I think people, as Mark mentioned, there's this inertia. Um, we see it in academia. We see it in, in industry. And we see it with the, uh, the professional accounting firms. So I think... Um, Definitely the rising generation is getting equipped with tools and, and, and skill sets that will help address this uh, issue. And I, I think for executives, if they can embrace and look for ways to capitalize and be open to understanding and learning more, not doing a deep dive, but trying to appreciate and learn enough so that they can find out where they can uh, best apply the technologies won't take too much time and will yield enormous benefits. Great. And uh, so I'm going to ask a final question and it's the big existential question. That's part of this discussion is, and I'll start with Devin. Maybe you can give your thoughts and then we'll go to the others is what are some of the most important things to consider as a company starts to apply technology to ICFR? Devin, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think a great place to start is the standards. And we have to remember that the standards do, uh, when they talk about internal controls over financial reporting, talk about the cost benefit analysis. Mm -hmm. 
right? I mean, uh, controls should not cost more than the risk that they are saving. And so uh, the first thing is, is to understand the technology as Jeff Wilkes and Jeff Pickard said, understand it enough uh, to know whether or not you're going to, uh, the benefit will outweigh the cost. And that, that, that entails maybe consultants or teams uh, to make sure you understand it enough. Um, and then I think the biggest takeaway that we saw from this study is executives do think the risks will decrease with these technologies. And so it's, it's getting the funding, persuading um, uh, the CFO, CEO, uh, whoever is, is the bottleneck there, persuading them that risks can decrease as we apply these technologies correctly. And as risks decrease, our information is better. And if information is better, we make better business decisions. And so it's, it's a long-term thing, but that's the essence of accounting. That's why we got so excited about these things, right? Is we need better information to make better decisions and technology can do that. The right technology run by the right people can do that. Jeff Pickard, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I fully agree with Devin. I, I think that with the right controls, we'll get the positive ROI that we want with these new technologies. One thing uh, that I think also was important to remember is that with new technologies over internal controls, we want to make sure we have redundancy, that we want to make sure that we have enough controls so that if technology fails, that's not our only source of controls. You know, sometimes people think that by implementing uh, new technologies that can get rid of everything supporting, you know, that there should be fewer controls, but uh, oftentimes you might need more controls and, and that's okay. You're, you'll still achieve better benefits for your organization. Um, so I think, I think a, a, making sure that doing this process carefully really does uh, result in positive benefits for the firm and organization. Jeff Wilkes, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, echo uh, both what I mean, Jeff right. said. Uh, definitely agree. And one thing I'll add, I'll add a little story, uh, not a story, but just something one of the executives shared with us that you're going to learn something as you go through this process uh, and of adopting technology, you've got to be prepared to go directions you weren't anticipating. It's going to, it's going to cost more, but not simply because the vendor didn't tell you things right. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's their fault. What often happens is when you go to implement an, a technology that's going to, you know, re reduce risk and improve your process and uh, help you control things better is you discover your existing processes are awful. <laughs> and that's not the technology's problem. It's not the vendor's problem. It's you just were barely getting by on some of this. And you, 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 you don't realize that until you try to automate something and you trip over and over and over again. So uh, a lot, a lot of companies will find as they're implementing the technology that it ends up a lot of the budget goes first towards fixing the process itself and then the technology can take over. And uh, that it can be a little discouraging for, for people. So I guess the, the, the takeaway for me and the, the thing to keep in mind as you're preparing you know, one of these processes is, or one, you know, an adoption approach is be prepared to run into things that maybe you were just getting by and you know you've got a fix now, uh, that stuff needing to happen often before you can implement some of that technology. No, it's, it's wild, wild west in many ways. There's, it's an adventure uh, to go through one of these. And it's like, I think everyone here would say, you're still going to end up with a better product at the end of the day. 
uh, it's probably going to be because you've improved your process and the technology now is going to be there too. Mark, you have the final word, so you can tell, you know, you're out in the field dealing with this every day. So you can tell if, if everybody has awful processes out there. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, that's a great point. And, and, uh, you know, what we see and uh, I think uh, kind of matches with what, what has been said is that also depends on the maturity of the organization. I mean, we have some customers that have been doing, you know, that most GRC tools have been doing uh, user access, you know, reviews and SOD uh, analysis and, you know, for years and years and years. Uh, and now they're ready to move to, you know, uh, you know, more transaction monitoring and things like that. But we can still come into some very big companies that, you know, user access reviews are still eating them alive and they're still doing it on spreadsheets. And, um, you know, the auditors will come in and, you know, or, or their, their, uh, their, their SOX consultants will come in and offer a tool to, to help them do some point solutions. But, um, you know, so what we see is that uh, oftentimes they just need to walk before they can run. You know, if, if you don't have a lot of experience with it, do something, you know, that that's going to show some immediate success, you know, that you can you can show that, you know, the, the organization can adopt it and then you're going to move on. You know, this whole idea is learning what you have and don't have. And 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 you're right. What we find is a lot of customers say, wow, I didn't even know we did it that way. And, uh, you know, and, and they can and they can adopt it, uh, you know, uh, as, as time moves along. So. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, just start somewhere. Great. Well, I want to thank everybody for taking the time today. I think it was really insightful. And thanks very much. Thank you. Great to be with you, Chris. <laughs> thank you. All Chris. right. We're good. We're good. Thank you very much. I, I think that was great. Hey, uh, I'll, yeah. I'll, Chris, I think. I love the, what this has forced us to do as academic researchers. We so often what we do stops with the publication of an academic paper. What we've known all along, we had to bring this full circle back to practice implications and result in a you know a practice focused paper and now the podcast. It's it's awesome to see how this actually does circles back and makes a difference, uh, and and we hope it does. We hope that this is something that I think people will listen to and go, yeah, yeah, that's exactly, I think, oh, I didn't think about that. Anyway, I love that we'd be part of this. So thanks for, thanks for involving us. And Mark, thanks for, uh, on your side, thanks for sponsoring the report and, you know, helping us uh, get this word out. Uh, great. Absolutely. And I'll take uh, all the credit, although Dylan did most of the work, <laughs> but that's uh, part of being older. You get to do that. So, um, all right. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks very much. Okay. Yep. Thanks, yeah. everybody. Thanks. Thanks.